Hello, friends, and welcome back to another study of the Book of Acts. Uh, Bill Allen from Tyler, Texas here, where we actually have gotten a little bit of rain over the last day or two. Not everywhere and not everybody. I'm not sure that we got much at our house. We didn't seem to get much at the church building here in downtown Tyler, but uh, a little bit and heard some others saying that they actually got a little bit. So hope that it's nice weather where you are, wherever that is and that you are uh, being safe and enjoying life as best you can in the midst of this uh, crazy world that we're in right now. Um, it, is, um, it is an unbelievable time. I said something in church the other day. We've talked a lot about these unprecedented and uh, very crazy times. And a week or two ago, I said something like, I'm ready for some precedented times. I don't know about everybody else, and I don't know that we're gonna see that for a while, but I'm pretty sure that I'll be ready for it uh, when it does come. Uh, the great thing, of course, is that our God is still uh, over all and on his throne and aware of everything and knows the future just as clearly as he sees uh, the past and the present. And so that gives us great assurance and great uh, hope. Nice to see a few of my friends uh, coming up and rolling in, as uh, my dear sister Debbie is, Larry and Lynn, good to see you, and Cindy and Eric here, my old Oklahoma Christian buddy, Doug Sifford, uh, rolling in as well. Good to see you, brother. I can still hear you um, uh, singing that wonderful song, Rainbow of Love, and bringing out that great bass, bass lead there um, in the chorus. Just love that um, so much, as if it were yesterday. Um, so we're in the book of Acts, and we're continuing on through Paul's second mission journey. Uh, today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 18 uh, as we finish out that second mission journey and then kind of get started a little bit on the third journey, not very much, uh, but a little. And then in, uh, on Thursday we'll look at that um, exciting and very scary uh, Acts chapter 19 uh, when Paul is at Ephesus and there's this big, huge citywide riot uh, because of, of uh, some of the ones that were opposing uh, the Apostle Paul and uh, the Christ and the God that he was uh, preaching. Um, so it's, um, it's good to see everybody. I'm glad that you're joining us and joining in. And uh, we're going to uh, get, right, get right to it. Some of you may have been watching our live stream on Sunday from West Irwin Church of Christ. You can do that, as also you can find these videos on our uh, website at westerwin.com, and then you click on our social media and resources, uh, scroll over that, and then click on the live stream link, and uh, that will take you to um, our live stream. And it worked for, uh, for about two minutes on Sunday, and then our internet modem went down, and uh, our wonderful tech uh, friends uh, got that started back up again, but half of the service was gone, so in the, it uh, starts up about uh, maybe uh, ten, five or ten minutes into my sermon, uh, and then we get the last half. So hopefully we won't have those kinds of technical problems today, although as you know, those of you that have watched this before, it can happen, and it has, uh, and so we do the best we can. Uh, but uh, we do have that on our on our website, that last half of our worship service from this past Sunday. So if you want to take a look at that, I'm preaching on uh, on through the Lord's Prayer, interestingly enough, and it's been a great series. Uh, and uh, the last couple of sermons, I think, have been uh, especially important. And this past Sunday was on obedience. So I'm really disappointed that we missed uh, the introduction. Uh, and I may uh, put out something that will say a little bit more about that. Uh, tomorrow on a Facebook uh, devotional lesson that's unrelated to uh, these studies in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 19 this Thursday at 4, but right now uh, we're in Acts chapter 18 with a stop in the very important uh, church at Corinth. Uh, this is, um, there's so much great history between Paul and and the Corinthians, that Corinthian correspondence, as they call it, that we call First and Second Corinthians, and then possibly some letters that aren't extant, E-X-T-A-N-T, which basically just means we don't have them anymore, they're lost, 
but it seems like in that correspondence between Paul and the Christians at Corinth, uh, there was another letter or two or more uh, that uh, we don't have. Our first and second Corinthians uh, could include some of those, uh, and certainly at least two of those. But uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he received some correspondence from them as well. And as we can clearly see, uh, he is responding to some of the questions that he has heard that they have. And that, uh, that book of 1 Corinthians is just a marvelous book that says so much about how we do church and how we do worship and how we do family and how we do life and relationships uh, and interact with one another. Uh, and a lot of those questions are answered because of some problems that they had at the church at Corinth and some issues they had and some things that they were doing wrong, such as uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, so very wonderful teaching in, in 2 Corinthians, just a, a, an incredible book and statement from the Apostle Paul. He gets as defensive uh, as we read him anywhere, uh, talking to the Corinthians, uh, trying to remind them of the, the things that he has done for them and the things that he has done for others because there were some apparently there in Corinth who were questioning uh, Paul's work. And all of that really begins uh, with Acts 18. It really begins with the stories that we're going to be reading about um, today. Uh, and so with all the difficulties that we see in the church at Corinth, in the city of Corinth, um, it was even worse. Uh, the city of Corinth was um, just a, a cesspool that didn't look like a cesspool. It was one of those such as some of those churches like Laodicea described in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, um, that looked great on the outside, but boy, inside it was just a mess. Uh, it was filled with pride. It was filled with immorality. Um, uh, it was filled with idolatry. Um, it was just uh, rampant through um, the city of Corinth. And so the church at Corinth is going to be established in the midst uh, of that. Um, and one person has called um, the city of Corinth the vanity fair of the Roman Empire. Uh, and I know you've heard that term vanity fair before, and I'm not sure you know what it is. I kind of had to do some checking on it myself. I had an idea. Um, but it, it, it kind of is um, uh, a description of a place that where being in and being modern and being cool and being beautiful and being having the latest and greatest stuff and having everyone uh, think that you're just uh, everything that everybody wants to be. Uh, that's the idea of Vanity Fair. And um, there's a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. It's the, uh, it's the cool place. It's the place that's got everything. It's the people that have everything and do everything and, and are the most beautiful people. Um, that is how one person describes the city of Corinth in first century, uh, uh, the first century Rome in the Roman Empire of the first century. Uh, modern day Greece, uh, we looked last week in Acts uh, 16 at the second journey as it begins in um, um, modern day Turkey, but then goes across, heeding the Macedonian call into Europe for the first time, and into modern day Greece, the northern part, the Roman province of Macedonia, where Philippi was, Paul's first stop, uh, where we meet the wonderful woman Lydia, and she and her family, as well as the Philippian jailer and his family, are converted. Uh, and then on to Thessalonica, where the Jews raise such a fuss that they hire some people, uh, as the King James Version calls them, some lewd fellows of the baser sort. Others refer to them as Renamob, uh, to try to run Paul and Silas uh, and Timothy out of Thessalonica, which they successfully do. Um, and then Paul goes to Berea, a neighboring city where they are more noble than the Thessalonians, the King James Version says, because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was so. They uh, studied earnestly uh, their Bibles to see if what this, uh, this man was teaching was uh, consistent with scripture, and it turns out that it was. And so they have a, 
a good response there. But then the Jews in Thessalonica, they send this group over to run Paul and his group out of Berea as well. And so from there, we're going to go to the southern province, the southern half of modern-day Greece, which is the Roman province of Achaia. Uh, and that's where this incredible church uh, at Athens uh, was begun. We read about Athens uh, last week uh, as well, and that amazing sermon that Paul preaches in the Areopagus in Athens um, in Acts 17. Such a such an incredible statement to a group of people who really run familiar with the God of the Bible. And Paul goes to that place. It's filled with altars and idols and stops at that one that says to the unknown God and talks about the one true and living God and starts right there and quotes a couple of their own poets and talks to them about God as creator and sustainer and ultimately gets to Jesus as Savior through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, it doesn't quote any Old Testament because it wouldn't matter to them. They didn't believe in the Old Testament. Uh, he did that in other places in Jewish synagogues, but not there. Uh, and so in Corinth, he's going to do some of, that, some of both of those. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll speak as his custom is in the synagogues, but then he'll also uh, go on from there. And he'll have a long ministry in Corinth, uh, at least a year and a half, uh, maybe a, a couple of months uh, longer than that. Uh, when you describe it as the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire, I tell you what that looks like. Uh, if you're a Hunger Games fan and I read the books and saw the movies, uh, then think of that second one where uh, they, uh, Katniss and Peta are at uh, the Capitol. That's Vanity Fair. Uh, the way everyone was at the Capitol when they were there to celebrate their victories and to announce their engagement and all of that. Just an overindulgence of, of materialism and pride and arrogance and, and waste. Um, that's how I see first century uh, Corinth. And uh, the Vanity Fair of, of 2020 as far as worldwide, um, would likely be the United States of America. Uh, there may be some other places such as Paris or London or other uh, places where you see a lot, of, a lot of wealth and a lot of values that uh, are more about the here and now and the uh, who knows who and how much do you have and how how pretty are you and handsome are you and all of those things. That was the concern at Corinth. And, um, and that's, where, that's where Paul stops on this mission journey. As difficult as that would be, the center of immorality. Uh, they had shrine uh, prostitutes there that would be a part of the religious worship. Uh, and, uh, and it's in the midst of that environment that Paul uh, begins to speak about uh, salvation from sin and freedom from sin through Jesus Christ, the resurrected uh, Lord. Um, so let's get on with it. In Acts chapter 18, the Corinthian ministry uh, begins, uh, starting in Acts 18, verse 1. After this, after uh, everything that went on, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, both of those cities, again, in the Roman province of Achaia, what we would call the southern half of modern-day uh, Greece. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave uh, Rome. Uh, there's a little bit of indication there about when this is all taking place. We're somewhere around 8, uh, 50 to 52 in the Common Era, A.D. 50, 52, somewhere in there. Uh, we're going to be introduced to another official a little bit later named Gallio in Corinth, which also helps us to date the time that these things happened. Again, it adds credibility to the Bible that there will be signposts along the way. Uh, that are consistent with this time frame and, and what's going on. Luke, of course, being the meticulous uh, writer and physician that he was, um, gives us those every so often. Um, 
And so we're introduced to this man by the name of Aquila and his wife uh, Priscilla. They are Jews. Uh, they have been thrown out of Rome uh, because the Emperor Claudius uh, uh, called on all the Jews to leave Rome. That likely occurred in A.D. 49, 49 C.E. And, uh, and so now uh, Aquila and Priscilla find themselves in Corinth. And that's when Paul uh, meets them, and they will become uh, significant uh, helpers and co-workers with the Apostle uh, Paul. Uh, they had been uh, ordered to leave Rome, all the Jews had by Claudius. Paul went to see them in verse 3 because he was a tent maker as they were. And so he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So they had something in common. They worked in leather. They were tent makers. Uh, they had uh, a common skill. And so that was one thing they had in common. Of course, they were Jews. That was another thing they had in common. Uh, perhaps Paul converted them. I think this is the first we read about Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament. We'll, we'll refer to several other passages here in a little bit. Uh, but this is the first we get of them. So it may very well be that this is when they're converted um, and, uh, and they're, they work with Paul. At this time, uh, Paul is, is a self-supporting missionary to an extent because they uh, share a, a livelihood. They're able to work together. And so for a while, as we're going to see, Paul uh, does that and uh, works with Aquila and Priscilla in the tent-making trade, but still preaching and teaching the message of Christ. In the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogues. All the rest of the time, as he had opportunity, he would teach and preach wherever he could find someone who would listen. Um, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, remember they tried to get uh, Paul out of there first, and then Silas and Timothy would join him. When they come from Macedonia, uh, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, Silas and Timothy had been with Paul in Macedonia there in uh, Philippi and in Thessalonica and in Berea, and then he left them there uh, for a while and escaped, uh, tried to get out of there as soon as he could, and went on to Athens, and now they are joining him uh, here in uh, Corinth. Uh, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Again, uh, when they join him, he uh, stops the trade work with Aquila and Priscilla. Perhaps they are going to continue that and, and uh, provide for some of the needs that they have, perhaps some of the things that the Philippian church has helped them with, um, as an indicated by uh, Lydia and by the epistle to the Philippians. Uh, Paul is able to, uh, to find a way to uh, make uh, a living. Interestingly enough, he is not going to ask the Corinthians to help support him. Uh, that, is, that is something that comes up a couple of times in First and Second Corinthians. Uh, he does the church at Philippi, but not the church uh, at Corinth. So he's uh, speaking to the Jews along with uh, Silas and Timothy, verse 6, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, just as Jesus said to do, and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so we read about Aquila and Priscilla helping Paul out and being a part of his mission here, being a part of his uh, support. And, uh, and as, as uh, Scripture continues on, we read more, a few times more, about Priscilla and Aquila, and we're going to read more about them later on in Acts chapter 18. But just briefly, I wanted us to look at Romans 16, because remember Romans 16, that's the end of the book of Romans, where Paul is saying, tell this person hi, tell that person hi, so-and-so says to tell you hi, well... Um, it's an amazing uh, chapter when you think about it. Paul says he had never been to Rome, and yet he knew so many people there uh, and, and had already built up a relationship with them. Well, he says this in Romans 16, verses thir uh, 3 through 5. Uh, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. 
not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. What an amazing commentary on how wonderful this Christian couple of the first century was, Priscilla and Aquila. It's just amazing. They're mentioned, I think, six times in Scripture. Uh, four of those times, Priscilla is mentioned first. It's Priscilla and Aquila and not necessarily Aquila and Priscilla. Um, I'm not sure what the significance is to that, but I think there are some. I think this woman, like Lydia, and like others uh, that we read about in Scripture, uh, was a woman who was very dedicated uh, to the faith and was a big part of, of Paul's work. Both uh, Priscilla and Aquila are described as his co-workers, described as individuals who risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. And Paul makes such a strong statement about them that all the churches of the Gentiles should be grateful to this couple. Um, I'm, Perhaps we'll say more about that in just a moment in their interaction with a young, uh, very powerful preacher uh, who didn't quite have everything right. Um, but we'll get there in just a little bit. Uh, again, it's interesting that Paul would work there in Corinth rather than ask the church there to help. And then when Silas and Timothy join him, he uh, goes back to full-time ministry but there's no indication that he asked the church at Corinth to help. In fact, a couple of times later, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul mentions that fact that, that he, he didn't ask for their help uh, and uh, mentions it in that uh, commentary in 2 Corinthians that where Paul is being very defensive and he's talking to them and he says, hey, look, I, I, I didn't wrong you at all except for maybe not to take money from you, so forgive me for that wrong. It's, he's being quite sarcastic. You contrast that with the church at Philippi and with the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul writes to them, where he talks about his partnership in ministry with them and their fellowship in ministry, the word koinonia in Philippians 1, because they, they helped support him financially. And in chapter 4, he alludes to that and the gift that was sent to him uh, that the Philippians church had sent. Um, that's not, that doesn't happen at Corinth. He does talk to them, as you know, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, about them coming through on their commitment to help this, um, uh, this financial mission that Paul was trying to go on and help other churches and to have uh, churches like Corinth and others contribute to the Macedonian churches he mentions. Uh, to them in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, giving themselves first to the Lord and then uh, providing some support to help some of the poor uh, Christians and churches in Judea that were going through a famine. But for Paul himself, he doesn't accept uh, any financial help from the church uh, at Corinth. It's pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Okay, so let's keep reading in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. In, a, in, in this uh, vanity fair of the Roman Empire, there are people there who realize how shallow that life is, how, um, how irresponsible it is to worship dead idols that they know are not gods. And so when Paul begins to talk to them like he did the Athenians in chapter 17 about this living God who is not to be not something you can make with your hands um, and, and doesn't need anything from us, but is creator himself. And so is far greater than we are and, and is, is much more than wood and stone, could not be housed in a temple built by human hands. Uh, but rather himself is the creator and sustainer of life. Uh, as he talks to them about those things, especially the, the, the ones who were non-Jews, the Gentiles, the Greeks, uh, they respond. Many of them respond, including this man, Crispus, who is the synagogue leader. Um, and likely, obviously, this man, Titius Justus, who is described as a worshiper of God. And... Um, and who apparently lived uh, next door uh, to the synagogue. Uh, so a, a Jewish man who welcomed Paul and his group into his home. 
which meant that he would suffer persecution uh, because of that, as would this synagogue leader. When a leader like Saul of Tarsus did, and now Paul the Apostle, or this man, this synagogue leader, when they convert, then they're marked men, just as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, uh, who were members of the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem and were not a, didn't go along with the decision that the Sanhedrin made to have Jesus crucified. When they brought his body down from the cross, as John records uh, in John 19, and they put him in Joseph's tomb that was nearby, uh, they became marked men. Because the last thing you want is for leaders of the opposition to convert. And just like when Saul of Tarsus converted, he was a marked man. Likely um, uh, this man, uh, Crispus, the synagogue leader, was as well. But his whole family was baptized. Many of the Corinthians who heard, who heard Paul uh, were baptized as well. And then verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Jesus came to Paul with a special message of encouragement and guidance and assurance, right when Paul needed it. Remember everything he's already been through um, in Philippi, uh, being in jail and beaten, uh, in, in Thessalonica, in Berea, being run out of town, in Athens with all of that idolatry everywhere, and now in Corinth, the cesspool of a city, uh, the center of sexual immorality, and uh, one of the centers of idolatry in the first century Roman world. And, and yet God comes to him, Jesus comes to him and says, look, hang in there with me, Paul. I've got a lot of people in this city. Um, and so Paul stays there for a year and a half, uh, amazingly enough. Um, and so he has a great, um, a great ministry there. And then another historical note, as I mentioned earlier in Acts 18, verse 12, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, uh, proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And so this gives us, again, a little bit of an insight into when this is. It's somewhere between a, uh, 51, 52 of the Common Era, CE, because that's when Gallio was proconsul of Corinth. And so we see now the church has been around still only about 20 years. Um, Paul himself has been a Christian not very long, 10 or 15 of those years. And now here he is on his second mission journey and facing all of this persecution and this vanity fair of the Roman Empire. But Jesus comes to him and says, look, I've got a lot of people here. You hang in there with me, Paul. Um, you hang in there with me. Um, but he is uh, going to be brought uh, before uh, this Roman authority. And because of that, Gallio is going to say, he, he, he's not going to actually wash his hands of the matter the way Pontius Pilate did, but that's kind of what he does. Um, and so we keep reading. After they have charged him in verse 13, uh, Paul is ready to make his defense. And, and we're going to read his defense in Acts 22 uh, and in Acts 26, before the Jews in Acts 22, and then before some of the Jewish and Roman authorities in chapter 26. Um, but including the governor and uh, King Agrippa. Uh, but here, Paul gets interrupted. He's about to make that same kind of statement, telling his story, um, but he is interrupted. Verse 14, Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. He tells them, hey, look, you're Jews. You got something about the, the Roman law, about uh, the laws related to how we uh, treat one another, 
and what rights that we have with each other. Uh, I'll, I'll be glad to listen, but this is just about your law, your worship, your, your God. I, I, don't, I don't have to hear that. Uh, so you guys figure it out. And so he sends them away, and then they get so mad that they beat another synagogue leader, Sosthenes. Uh, was he the guy that replaced uh, Crispus? Because obviously he would not be allowed to continue to be synagogue leader if he converted to Christianity. Well, maybe. It may be that they were both synagogue leaders. I, I don't know. But we do know that they beat Sosthenes, and so if they're beating him, it's because he either became a Christian himself or was showed some sympathy towards Paul and his party, and, and so they're, they're kind of blaming him for stuff. And since the, the Roman proconsul Gallio won't do anything, they get their aggression out on, on this man, likely a very innocent man. Um, and so it's interesting how all of this plays out. And again, um, uh, we see God's hand in this, and we see that message from Jesus coming to Paul at exactly the perfect time. And why was this the perfect time? Well, Paul himself describes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 the condition that he was in physically and emotionally when he got to Corinth. And so later on, as he's writing this, what we call 1 Corinthians to them, these words that he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, describe what he was feeling as he was experiencing the things we just read about in Acts 18. Now remember again what had happened to him. He had been through uh, the first mission journey with Barnabas. They had come. They had received some persecution during that time, but had also done a lot of good. They had come back. They had gone to Jerusalem to be at that Jerusalem conference in Acts 15, where he had to defend himself for teaching and preaching and baptizing Gentiles, where he had to take a firm stand against those who wanted to require circumcision and other aspects of the law towards these new Gentile converts. He stood his ground firmly on that. And then... He has that conflict with Barnabas at the end of chapter 15 before they're ready to start on their second journey over John Mark. Barnabas and Mark go one way. Paul takes Silas and has Timothy um, uh, circumcised later, and, and that becomes his new mission team. And he starts and he goes through all of those experiences in Philippi with being put in jail and beaten and having to leave town and then of course, to Thessalonica and Berea and all the trouble that he had there because of the Thessalonian Jews, then to Athens with this incredible idolatry that he sees everywhere, and now um, now in Corinth. And so here's how he describes his feelings in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 1. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. What an incredible statement. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. I was spent. I was spent physically, emotionally, every way you could be spent. He says, I was wasted. When I came to you, I had nothing. I had nothing of my own. So all I shared with you was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then in the midst of that, Paul receives that wonderful vision from Jesus, encouraging words. I've got people here Stay with me here, Paul. Stay with me. I'm going to be with you. And, um, and sure enough, Paul stays there for over 18 months, for over a year uh, and a half, teaching them uh, the word of God. I knew nothing. I preached nothing. I shared nothing. I taught nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I had. But that's enough. That's all we need. That's all we need. And so the church at Corinth was off and running. So we keep reading in verse 18 of Acts 18. Back to Acts 18 now. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. So he's going back to Antioch of Syria, his home congregation. 
This is the end of the second mission journey. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila, he meets there uh, in Corinth, and now they have become such close friends, and they are such great workers and helpers for Paul that he takes them with him, and they're going to go with him. Uh, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. Uh, and it's interesting that Paul would do this. He's going to do this again in Acts 21, where James in Jerusalem, the half-brother of the Lord, counsels him and encourages him to take part in a vow that some other Jewish men have taken on and pay their expenses and join them in this Jewish vow so that the Jews can be appeased a little bit. Remember our conflict uh, model from Dr. Randy Lowry of Lipscomb where you have the issue uh, as the vertical axis and the relationship as the horizontal axis. And there are times when the issue is all important, such as it was uh, over the gospel uh, and those who were trying to bring circumcision and other aspects of the law in. And then there are times when the issue is not nearly as important as the relationship, such as when he had Timothy circumcised so that they could have a relationship with the Jews and Timothy could interact with them and those they were trying to reach with the message of Christ. Well, this is another one of those kind of times when it's time to appease. It's time to acquiesce. It's time to accommodate. Where the issue is not a big deal, Paul was still a Jew. He's going to take part in Jewish culture, in Jewish uh, activities that don't uh, contradict uh, the Christian faith, including this vow, including another vow that he's going to take part in in Acts 21. Uh, it's interesting, Paul doesn't leave his Jewish roots behind. Uh, he, he is always a Jew. He describes himself that way uh, in Philippians 3 and 1 Timothy 1 as he's telling his story, Acts 22, Acts 26. Uh, he describes himself that way. Why? Because he was. He was a Jew, but he was, first of all, now a Christian. Um, and so he has got Priscilla and Aquila with him. He's going to be going uh, home. He's going to be going to his home church in Antioch of Syria, not there yet. And so before they leave Corinth, um, he takes part in this, uh, in this vow. Um, uh, not sure exactly the specifics. Uh, was it a Nazarite vow? Well, maybe. Uh, that would seem somewhat consistent, but there's nothing wrong with taking a vow. You just want to be sure that you do what you say you're going to do. Uh, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and leave it at that, and I think that's the wisest move. Uh, but Paul is willing to take part in this, and, and so I think there are times when maybe there's something that's so significant where uh, we might do the same thing. What Scripture tells us, starting in the Old Testament, in the law, and certainly in the book of Ecclesiastes, look, if you're going to make a vow, then be sure and keep it. Uh, be sure and keep it. Uh, so Paul does that. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, as he always did. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And that ends the second mission journey, and the first one is going to start right up. But before we get there, let's talk about Priscilla and Aquila some more. Um, they accompany Paul, and they all go to um, Ephesus uh, together. And at Ephesus, uh, Paul, as he always does, he goes into the synagogue, and he preaches and teaches about Christ. And he goes in other places as well, but he doesn't stay in Ephesus very long this time. He's going to stay there quite some time in, in the third journey in Acts chapter 19. And we're going to read about all of that on Thursday, uh, where he stays over a couple of years. Uh, but here, uh, he doesn't stay for very long. But what he does do is he, he has Priscilla and Aquila stay there in Ephesus while he continues on. Um, and so he was in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews. Priscilla and Aquila were there as well, helping in his ministry. Remember, they're Jews. They had uh, had to flee out of Rome uh, because of the emperor's orders uh, for all Jews to leave Rome. They end up in Corinth where Paul meets them, perhaps baptizes them, uh, and, um, and, and has uh, them become part of his 
uh, mission uh, team. Um, the Ephesians, they wanted him to spend more time there, but he said, no, I can't do it right now. And so from there, he, he gets on a boat and he goes uh, over to, um, uh, he, he finally goes down to uh, Jerusalem. He has uh, gone across the sea. If you have your handy-dandy Bible map and you see that second mission journey, then he is able to go across the sea and uh, come back uh, away from Asia, from Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus is in the western part of modern-day Turkey. It's one of those seven churches of Asia that Jesus writes letters to, recorded in Revelation 2 and 3. It's the church that had left their first love. Um, and we're going to talk more about Ephesus on Thursday. Um, but from there, he, uh, he uh, sails across and lands at, at uh, Caesarea and then goes over uh, to Jerusalem, uh, where he greets the church there in Jerusalem. The apostles, I'm sure, James, the brother of the Lord, who had become one of the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. And then he went down uh, to Antioch, uh, verse 22 says, and that's the end of the second uh, mission journey, and very likely another mission Sunday, <laughs> just as Paul and Barnabas did in um, when their second mission journey was finished in Acts 14. They go back to Antioch, they gather all the church together, they tell all the stories, they show the slides, they introduce the people, they show pictures of the kids, all the things that I did when I would come back from Ukraine and, and the six mission trips that I took to Ukraine. That, that's what Paul and Barnabas did. I would imagine uh, that that's what Paul does here uh, as well. And he's got new stories to tell. He's got this whole Macedonian call that he's answered. When he was sent off by the church at Antioch, they thought he was just going to stay in Asia. They thought he was just going to stay in what we would call modern-day Turkey, just as he and Barnabas did the first time out. And, but that wasn't God's plan. And so now he's got a lot to share with them. He's got a lot to tell them uh, about his ministry in um, Macedonia and Achaia, our modern-day Greece, and all the stories, the incredible stories that we have covered in the last few uh, lessons that Paul could share uh, from all of that uh, great work. I'm sure that they did that. I'm sure that they had that time uh, together, and how much Paul must have needed his church family at this moment. Think about all the things that he had been through, the beatings, the imprisonment, the idolatry, the immorality he had seen at Corinth, um, the trouble that he had had at every stop uh, with the Jews, some success, but then uh, driven out and shaking the dust off his feet, as Jesus said, and going to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. His own countrymen were, um, were uh, refusing to accept his word and in many cases were trying to take his life. And so now he goes back home, um, not from uh, Antioch of Syria originally, but uh, that had become his church home. And he goes back there, this incredible church where the disciples were first called Christians, according to Acts 11, verse 26, Antioch of Syria. Um, how he must have needed uh, that time uh, together. But Luke doesn't take much time to describe that because the end of the second mission journey is Acts 18 verse 22 and the beginning of the third journey is Acts 18 verse 23. I kind of wish if I were figuring out where the chapters would divide, I would have made a, a new chapter 19 right here. But nobody asked me, so I'm going to be okay with that. Uh, Acts 18 beginning in verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Basically, he's retracing, again, get out your handy-dandy Bible map, Paul's third mission journey, and see where he starts out. He starts out again at that place in uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, he's going to start out in Asia. Here, I'll just show you my handy-dandy Bible map. How about that? Uh, I don't know how well you can see that, but if you can see where Antioch of Syria is, um, there on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's going to go throughout modern-day Turkey, as you see there, and go through some of those churches that, that he and Barnabas perhaps had established and that he had revisited on his second journey 
and then he's going to go across once again uh, to across the uh, GN to uh, modern day Greece to Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, but let's get there first, shall we? Um, and so in Acts chapter 18, uh, he's strengthening all the disciples in verse 23. Remember in, in, when he and Barnabas went back through after perhaps only a couple of years, um, they, they ordained elders in every, in every city. Uh, and now he's continuing to go on and will be speaking uh, to all of those great disciples uh, that had been Christians now perhaps for uh, several years uh, and, um, and were growing in the faith and were themselves sharing the message of Christ uh, with others. Meanwhile, verse 24, while Paul is in a modern-day Turkey in the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, Meanwhile, verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. This guy is going to be one of the great preachers of the first century. And uh, he is a learned man. He comes from Alexandria, a, a center of the Roman Empire, very important city, uh, likely was, uh, uh, had gone to all the best schools, he was very refined. He is described as an excellent preacher, a great, great speaker. And so he goes to Ephesus. Remember, Paul's not in Ephesus right now. He'd gone back to Antioch, and now he is beginning that third journey, but he hasn't gotten all the way to Ephesus yet. He's getting there, but he's not there yet. Um, and so while, uh, while Paul is on this journey, Apollos, uh, this this incredible uh, preacher and speaker, uh, uh, a Jewish uh, man, uh, goes to Ephesus. Now, do you remember who's still in Ephesus? Well, that would be Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 25, uh, uh, Apollos had a great knowledge of the scriptures, and there it's talking about the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He was a Jew, and he was a great, a great speaker and a very, very smart guy thorough knowledge of the scriptures, great education from Alexandria, a very important town, and now in Ephesus uh, on the western part of modern-day Turkey in the Roman province uh, of Asia. Verse 25, he, Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and so he had heard about the message of Jesus, uh, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he, as Paul Harvey would say, he hadn't heard the rest of the story. Uh, he had heard about Jesus coming. He had heard about John's ministry. But that's about where it ended. But he was preaching that one, and he had accepted that one, being a, a very smart guy. He probably put, connected all the dots and saw how this was fulfillment of what the Old Testament had been saying. Uh, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, again, but only going as far as the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, the middle of verse 26, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. What a great statement. What a great scene. This wonderful, incredible Christian couple that had been with Paul in Corinth and now had gone on to Ephesus, and he had left them there. They were a part of his ministry. They were very involved in his work. And now they're there in Ephesus, and this, this great, wise, smart, learned, very powerful uh, preacher comes through, a, this Jew by the name of Apollos, and he's, he's come to hear the story about Jesus, and, and he's accepted it, and he's preaching it, but he only knows as far as the baptism of John. He hasn't heard about, perhaps he hasn't heard about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Perhaps he certainly hasn't heard about the beginning of the church on that day of Pentecost, uh, less than two months after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so what happens? Well, this wonderful Christian couple, Priscilla and Aquila, <laughs> can't you just see this? They go to Apollos and they say, man, you are one of the greatest preachers we have ever heard. Would you come over to our house Thursday night for dinner? Well, sure. I mean, we preachers, we always say yes to that one. Are you kidding me? And so he does. And when he's there, Priscilla and Aquila open their Bibles up and they say, well, look, you know, you're doing a great, great job. 
But I, I think there's more to this story than what you may have heard. You've got to hear uh, the really, really good part of the good news of the gospel. And so they explain to him the way of God more accurately. They tell him the rest of the story. They tell him, look, what you're doing is great, but listen, there's so much more. There's so much more. And to Apollos' credit, he listens and he begins to nod his head and he says, well, you know, I'm all in. I am all in. And he begins to preach that message and very powerfully. And so verse 27 of Acts 18, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, again, where Athens and Corinth are, and he's going to land in Corinth especially, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, the brothers and sisters who were in Ephesus, who had seen him, they had heard him, and they had heard him speaking an incomplete message, and then they had heard him speaking the full gospel after Aquila and Priscilla helped him out. And now they say, you know, you would be great. He may be a traveling preacher of some sort. He had left Alexandria. He had found him his way to Ephesus. And now he was wanting to kind of follow Paul's journey and go to, uh, go to Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, Acts 18, verse 27, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. What a great thing. Here, take this letter with you. It'll, it'll grease some of the skids. Maybe, they, uh, maybe some of them have heard about you and don't know. Maybe some of them haven't heard about you and don't know, but let them know. Take this letter with you, and, and, and we're giving you our full support. Uh, uh, it's a letter of recommendation is what it is. We want you to know that this guy, Apollos, he's a great guy. He's a genuine Christian man. He has come to accept the, the story of Jesus Christ and Christ as his Savior, and now he's preaching it as well as anybody we've ever heard. He'll do you great. I'm sure it said something like that. When Apollos arrived in Achaia, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. You know, Paul had already been working there. He had already had a long ministry there, actually, over 18 months. And now um, in Corinth, and now... Uh, Apollos is there, and he is a great help. He's helping them to continue to grow uh, in the Lord and perhaps reaching others with the gospel of Christ as, as, as best we can tell from what we read about him in 1 Corinthians. Um, verse 28, For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So Apollos, working primarily with the Jews, he was a Jew himself, he had come to accept this message. He was a learned man, probably well-studied, just like Saul of Tarsus was, willing and able to answer the Jews' questions when they would talk about Jesus, and they would say things like, wait a minute, how can this guy be a, 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 a convicted criminal, uh, crucified, becoming a curse by dying on the cross? How can he be the Savior? How can he be the Messiah? How can he be the Son of David? David brought us great victories. Now, those were the good times. And then he, let, he uh, went the way of all men and was taken to home to his fathers and buried. And his son Solomon came in and, and built that glorious temple. And, and how do you say Jesus can be the son of David? How can Jesus be the fulfillment of all the prophecies? Apollos could answer those questions. And he answered them probably very much in the same way that Jesus did when he was talking to those two men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. When they couldn't figure out how all this tied together, Jesus connected the lines for them. Or when uh, Peter addressed that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Or when Paul and Barnabas spoke in those synagogues on that first mission journey uh, and others. Apollos did exactly that. He went toe-to-toe, face-to-face -to -face with the Jewish scholars. And he said, look, this does not contradict anything in our Bibles. This is actually the fulfillment. Remember Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think for a second that I have come to abolish or destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Apollos was able to show them and demonstrate to them exactly how that could be. Apollos was a great, great speaker and a great uh, preacher. 
uh, and, uh, and we have Aquila and Priscilla to thank for that. Uh, this man, a great man himself, but it took this wonderful Christian couple just to invite him over for coffee and dinner and, and to share a little bit about some direction that he really truly needed. And again, to his credit, he heard with great humility what they had to say, and then he went out from there preaching that same uh, message. Was Apollos a better speaker than Paul? Maybe. Maybe. Remember those passages in First and Second Corinthians, in First Corinthians 1 and in First Corinthians 3, when Paul talks to the Corinthians about their divisive spirit, you know, all the problems that they had with the church at Corinth, they were messing up the Lord's Supper, they were messing up sexual morality, um, they were uh, uh, not being considerate of one another, uh, they had a worship service that was chaos, according to 1 Corinthians 14. They didn't understand love, and that's why we have the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. They had messed up the resurrection, some even saying that the resurrection had already passed, according to 1 Corinthians 15. They were messing up everything, but the first thing that Paul addresses to this church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians is the sin of division. They had preacheritis. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Peter. Some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Christ. All of them taking pride in who baptized them or taking pride in who taught them. And, and Paul writing to them and saying, look, who is Paul and Apollos? We're just servants. We're just fellow servants. I planted, Apollos watered. Remember, Paul started the church there on his second journey. Apollos later followed him after uh, the church at Ephesus gave, them his, gave him their blessing. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but what? God makes it grow. God gives the increase. We're just, we're just co-workers, Paul says of himself and Apollos. We're co-workers in the field. It's God who's doing the work, and we're blessed to be a part of it. But we're laying the same foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ, and that's the only foundation that will last. Um, and so, but it's interesting because when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he, he is defending himself in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, look, one of the things that they were saying about him was you, some of, some of you people there say, oh yeah, he's real powerful and, and strong in his letters, but face to face, hearing him speak, he's not, he's no Apollos, is kind of what they're saying. Well, that doesn't really say bad things about Paul as much as it says good things about this incredible preacher by the name of Apollos. He was, he was something. He was a powerful guy in that first century, and he and Paul were on the same team. And Paul reminds the Corinthians of that, look, we're just, we're just co-workers. Doesn't matter who taught you. Doesn't matter who baptized you. Doesn't matter whose feet you sat under. What matters is that you've heard that message and you've responded to that message and you're continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Uh, that's what we're called to do. So how, how do you minister today? How do you minister to the vanity fair of the Roman Empire? How do you minister to places like that today? Well, just like Paul did in Athens, just like he does in Corinth, you, you respond to the culture. As we said the other day, it is a cultural church where we meet, how we meet, what time, what we wear, uh, the type of sermons we have, the type of songs we sing. All of those things are cultural things, and that's fine. That's great. All things to all people, Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9. But the message is the same. The message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul said he shared with the people of Corinth. And that's the message that the church at Corinth responded to. And that's the message that people will respond to today. Uh, we don't, we're not a worldly church. We don't let the worldly values into our lives, into our hearts, into our churches. But we are a cultural church. We're a 21st century American church. Here in Tyler, we're right in, the, uh, in, in northeast Texas. Uh, other places uh, where you are all from, you reflect the culture that you live in, and that's okay. 
but it's the message of Christ and him crucified that needs to go out in the midst of all of that. Because that's the message that people need, especially today in our weird, crazy, unprecedented times, as we said. What do they need to hear? They need to hear the simple gospel. They need to hear that they have a Savior, that he lived a life of justice and righteousness and love and faithfulness to the will of the Father, that they killed him for it by crucifying him on the cross, and that he was raised from the dead and declared with power to be the Son of God through that resurrection, as Paul says in Romans 1. And now his blood is what cleanses us from all of our sins and gives us a mission and a purpose in this life that the circumstances don't change, that whoever wins the last election or the next election, that mission, that purpose doesn't change. It is still to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be blessed as you continue that mission. And I will see you on Thursday as we look at chapter 19 and the amazing things and very challenging things that happen while Paul is in Ephesus. God bless.